Welcome to another edition of the Digital Dialogue. I'm Amanda Briggs and today we're speaking with Professor Antonio Liotta from Eidenhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands, an expert in complex networks, data science and the future of the Internet of Things with a speciality in miniature machine learning. Professor Liotta presented recently at the Queensland University of Technology and the Institute of Future Environments exploring the impact of IoT, the challenges with implementation and how the Internet of Things won't become an unpredictable mess. Professor Liotta. Hi, Antonio. Uh, Hello. Thank you for having me here. Our pleasure. So we're talking about the Internet of Things and why that won't become an unpredictable mess. The Internet of Things obviously is a network of physical objects or things embedded with electronics, software, sensors and network connectivity, which enables these objects to connect and exchange data. So a mobile phone device, that's a thing that's connected to the Internet. That's an example of what we're talking about here, right? Yes, exactly, but not not just mobile phones. We're talking about physical, other physical things, uh, so fridges, uh, toasters, <laughs> anything really that you can imagine, anything in a smart city, um, traffic lights, uh, and uh, that anything that can help with transportation, making uh, energy efficient systems, uh, anything where you can touch a sensor or a controller or an actuator. Perfect. So we have, uh, well, experts estimate that by 2020, we're going to have 50 billion objects connected. Currently, we have more things connected to the internet than people, right? Yeah, I think uh, the sources I I look at, uh, they're talking about one trillion sensors, is the uh, one trillion sensor uh, organization uh, in Europe. So it's one trillion sensors plus everything else. So that's what's currently connected? No, what will be connected by... 2020, they say. I, I'm a bit skeptical about this, but this is what, as scientists and as companies, we're working on these numbers. So, why should we care? What does that mean for the every ordinary person or business operating in a country like Australia? Why should we care, and what are the challenges? There are some major societal issues that um, are pinpointing by every country in the world. I, uh, for example, in Europe, we're talking quite a lot about the megacities and uh, how to turn them into smart cities. And to do that, you need to, uh, to have uh, physical systems uh, virtualized such as you can then make processes and can then bring those into the ICT infrastructure to do something clever with it. Another example is food. Uh, how to feed the world, not just the western part of it, and not uh, deplete the, the, the world in, in such process. spoke a little bit at the presentation you did for the Institute of Future Environments about some challenges with connecting all of these things to, a, to data centres or connectivity around the world. Can you explain some of those challenges for our uh, listeners? Well, there are some uh, impossibility challenges, uh, for example, energy. Uh, if we do a calculation, you need just too much energy to keep all these uh, one trillion things um, active and able to collaborate. So I, I also made some estimation. I talk about one trillion watts, and one trillion watts is quite a lot because we're not able to generate one gigawatt uh, at the moment with the state-of-the-art nuclear power plants. So it's not something that we can generate uh, in 2020, 2025. We just don't have the nuclear power, nuclear power to do it. Um, so energy is, uh, is a hard uh, barrier. 
mm-hmm. but also complexity. Now, if we just don't know uh, how to put together networks with such a level of complexity, with so many nodes, so many connections. But there's business opportunities from the Internet of Things. Can you tell us a, a little bit about some of the business opportunities that you see from this growing connectivity, but perhaps assuming we do deal with the physical challenges? Yeah, it's, uh, there is $11 trillion as an estimate of the amount of um, revenues uh, that can be made uh, around the Internet of Things. This is from a recent quite reliable uh, in-depth uh, report by McKinsey. So $11 trillion uh, of revenues is pretty mu- in one year is pretty much what we make with the whole of the Internet and the web in four years. So it's, it's quite, uh, that's why all the companies are jumping in and trying to understand uh, what they should do. But not all companies will make money, I think. Um, if, if you're selling the, the whole system, it's very hard to make money. If you're selling the chip that will go into one trillion things, then you can make a lot of money. You spoke a little bit about some of the research investment that's happening in Europe around this area. Can you explain some of those dollars and also how that might uh, play out for Europe as a leader in this space? Well, in investment, there is an investment uh, from the European Commission uh, in the Horizon 2020 program. It, has, uh, it includes altogether about 80 billion euros. And about one to two of this billion will, uh, will go to research projects that interface one way or another, directly or indirectly, with the Internet of Things, the future Internet and big data. So that's a big opportunity, not just for university, because most of these funds will go to subsidize uh, companies as well. So they, there is a, a strong um, constraint on research funding to incorporate pretty much the majority of this money will go to companies, actually. So they, they will drive research projects. So they're looking for applied research outputs that will be relevant to industry in this space? It definitely, maybe even too much, if I want to be critical, uh, because they, there is too much uh, emphasis uh, at the moment in Europe towards the applications and towards developing these this systems in a short time. And perhaps they, uh, we are overlooking a little bit of the fundamental science that is missing to make all these visions a reality. And how does that relate to STEM education? We've spoken a little bit about the difference between STEM education in Europe and what you've you know, seen in Australia. Can you explain a little bit about your hometown and the importance of STEM education in that space? Yeah, this is also a good opportunity for teaching, for uh, improving, improving teaching, for creating new courses. Just as an example, in, in the area where I live, it's a technical university uh, serving a small, very small Silicon Valley sort of uh, scenario in the Netherlands. Uh, there, they require three to 500 uh, data scientists per year, and we can provide about 50. So we have just started re- restructuring the whole system, new bachelor, new master, new doctorates, new agreements, a very big investment in the range of 50 million to just be able to create all the connections to deliver all these uh, new data scientists. And, and by the way, there is also some, some information online. Somebody has counted that about four and a half million new jobs have been created in 2015 just because of big data-related uh, uh, activities. So there are a lot of jobs and there is a lot of demand, pressure that uh, comes to universities to deliver uh, 
the new graduates in the right direction. The talent with the right skills. Exactly. So we're, our time is almost up, Antonio. It's so been great to get your perspective, the international perspective, uh, to help us here in Australia just to make sense of the digital economy and how are we going to progress in this space. I wanted to end, could you share with our listeners your analogy of the octopus's brain? Yeah, this is one of the major scientific challenges that we have to solve. Uh, if you have such a large network and you try to apply big data, so you try to apply data analytics, uh, uh, these are well, well-defined, well-known methods applied in business, for example. If you try to apply that to, this, to such large networks, it won't just work because we won't be able to bring the, all the data in a central point to do the data analytics. So we need to have a distributed, hierarchical distributed brain, such as the one that the octopus has, where that has neurons uh, all the way down to its tentacles, and it's able to learn simple things such as opening a jar to find food inside without intervention from the central brain. So it's machine learning. Uh, the work that we do in Eindhoven, is, in fact, is miniature machine learning, how to uh, implement very small learning processes in, in little sensors. So that, that, that will probably help quite a lot de- uh, developing a large network. So this is fascinating. It's interesting not only from its technical side, but also its application side. We really appreciate your time, Antonio. I know you're here for a couple of weeks still, but we'll maintain contact and I'll share your details through the digital dialogue. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for inviting me here. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.